and then I found out about the airing of grief and um, that has just been so huge and impactful to get to listen um, to people's stories and yeah. just kind of hear what they're going through and and I, um, it's it's such an incredible idea um, that really you know it's crazy to think nobody's done this before of let's yeah. just sit and have a conversation and yeah. you may think nobody wants to <laughs> listen to that but you know somebody like me yeah we live in east tennessee so we're not real far from from you guys yeah. and it's there's not many people that we can talk to about this yeah. stuff and that yeah. that have those same thoughts or that are willing to have those conversations mm-hmm. um and so being able to hear that yeah. and the 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 trippy thing is you're hearing people who are able to put into words mm. feelings you've had yes for months and months that you've never been able to really get out there and yeah. then you hear somebody say it that you don't even know <laughs> and it's just like oh my gosh yeah it's insight into your own soul and what you're going through and, yeah um, <clears throat> and you know there's something about that too that the thing about trauma that's so fascinating is um when you've been through something traumatic and it it, it stores itself in a certain part of your brain that actually is um kind of the most uh base level kind of like reptilian mind like we're just in survival mode like that like fight flight freeze response brain your amygdala um and the process that healing from trauma has to go through is the experience that you had the memory that you hold of the experience that you had essentially has to this is a really oversimplified way of saying it but it has to move from that part of your brain from the amygdala like into the hippocampus essentially um and the hippocampus is responsible for providing context around the experience and that's how you heal from PTSD is you give you give the experience context it's no longer feels as if it's happening in real time in your body um, you're able to say no that happened it's in the past but the fascinating thing about the hippocampus and that part of your brain is it's responsible for providing context and the primary prim, primary way in which it provides that context is by providing language so quite literally having language for what happened to you is is a luxury when you've been traumatized. It's an almost impossible to imagine luxury when you've been traumatized. So if you can imagine it in the sense of when someone else gives you that language, it kind of zooms you up to that, like uh, like it, it, it fast tracks you to the option of healing because you're like, oh my, oh my God, that's it. You like have this moment, you're like, that's it. That's the feeling. You just spoke into existence the feeling that I've held in my body for years but have never been able to explain. And then once you've got a hold on it, once you've got a handle on that language for that feeling that now you internalize that it goes back into being able to it becomes a conversation that you are now having with yourself and you're now having with your body through like this is it this is the feeling let's talk about this and that moves you through that process of healing so what you're saying like has a there's a scientific you know scientific basis for the feeling behind that freedom that occurs when you hear someone else kind of say your story for you. Um, so I, you know, and I, that's something that I, I love that I'm, I'm with you. I'm like, how come no one's done this before? And I think that that's like such a beautiful part. All we're doing is just listening to each other and we don't even know that we're healing each other, but we are just by way of listening to each other. This is the airing of grief conversations and correspondence about spiritual D and re construction season two episode 23 singing over shadows the Airing of Grief Season 2 has been long and dynamic and varied. So the question arises, how do you end a season like this? We're not sure you really can, so maybe this is more of a pause. We have a good amount of great calls still that would all be worth featuring in full, but none of them seems like the final call of Season 2. And maybe that's poetic, because a tidy wrap-up to something like this seems contrary to what we've been doing. This is bigger than any one story. Season two was driven by our need to diversify our voices and be more deliberate in bringing all kinds of people to the table. 
It's been about the perspective which only comes from that broader spectrum, which we worked hard to chase down and will continue to going forward. But there's no one way to approach all that with any sense of finality. It's difficult enough to sum any of it up and hit pause, but we can at least try. So here are some vignettes. An array of voices in a flowing conversation, meandering together like objects in shared resonant space. A coda to embodiment and finding ourselves within each other's stories. Thanks for listening. Hello. 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 Hey, is this is this? Oh, hi. Hey. Yeah, this is she. Hey, how's is it? How's it? It's, but I'll answer to either. No, okay. Hey, Derek, <laughs> how's it going? It's going good. good. How about yourself? I'm doing fine. Thanks for taking a few minutes to chat. Absolutely. I'm a little nervous, but we'll pretend like oh, I'm not. Oh, don't be at all. Yeah, no, we're just we're just hanging out. <laughs> yeah, we're just we're just hanging out. Um, Hi, how are you? Good. How are you doing? Is it? Yes. Nice to meet you. I'm sorry that it was such a hassle. It was. Um, well, thanks for giving me some wiggle room. Yeah. <laughs> it was a it was a depressing commute home. Just one of those, you know, thirty minute drives that takes two hours. Yeah. I feel that. So I am actually really excited right now about the concept and the idea of grief, which hopefully is not too lighthearted for the topic. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I had talked to you a couple months ago, I probably would not have had the same tone mm. by any means. But when I stumbled across the podcast, I think I did so through uh, Jamie's Twitter feed. Mm-hmm. It's where I find all of my good nuggets of wisdom. And the first <laughs> time, I can't even remember which episode I listened to for the first time. But as soon as the discussion started, all of me was just like, yes, oh my God, this is the word I've needed mm. to describe my life and my experience over the last few years. And I think sometimes unless you're experiencing what feels like an acceptable level of loss, it's really hard to use the word grief to describe it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had started using, you know, other words like trauma and, you know, um, baggage. But Right, so grief felt too extreme for at, at first. Yeah, because at that point, I don't even know if I had actually lost um, lost someone yet. But yeah, grief just felt kind of dramatic, you right. know? Which um, it's not. But so, losing losing yourself or a version yourself is definitely a worthy cause for grief as well. But I think, yeah, I think we downplay that. If anything, we don't take it seriously enough. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, I um, grew up very Christian. Okay. Um, like the type of Christian where like we had to do cartwheels in secret because cartwheels are dancing and you oh. can't do dance. Like, you can't dance. So I guess that whole dance before the Lord thing just didn't translate into your particular community. Well, it's in there. And it's true because it's in there. (laughs) But it didn't happen. I got you. Okay. (laughs) And very early on as a child, I began to exhibit what I now know was um, different forms of anxiety disorders. Mm -hmm. But when you grow up in this fundamentalist church, there's no such thing as mental illness or psychological problems. It's, you know, God can heal you if you just have faith and if you just believe. Mm-hmm. And so anytime I would go to um, one of my parents, they would just hand me, you know, a stack of Bible verses, right? And you're going to pray the Bible verses and God's going to heal you and everything's going to be fine. And so those two mixed together just gave me this really skewed idea of what it meant to be, I guess, loved and belong and just this really messed up view of who God is. I was raised in a very, you know, dispensational, um, you know, theologically oriented house where I was homeschooled. You know, my father taught me Greek, New Testament, Greek and Latin, you know, uh, growing up. Um, The problem was, um, you know, all of the things that you're taught by your faith were actually 
being destroyed in the house that I was growing up, well, that I was mm. being raised in, where um, you know the literal sense of scripture was used, you know, to perpetuate, you know, essentially, you know, abuse, child abuse, mm. um, you know, which is not an uncommon experience, right. you know. Um, a father, you know, treating their children with utmost gravity and authority to every single biblical precept. And that can, you know, translate to a literal sense of, you know, not withholding the rod and you can end up, you know, being hit 30 times with metal um, and having scripture used, you know, as a means to justify that. Oh, yeah. But in my own journey, having fallen in, in love with God mm. at 15, you know, I bought that this is the path that every Christian should walk down. And so I think at the time, um, I didn't really know how to have emotions, if that makes sense. Because sometimes in conservative churches, you're taught that your feelings are bad and they're sinful and they're wrong. And God is the ultimate authority. And so I don't think at 13, 14, I realized how much it actually affected me mm. um, at that point. And the concept of like trauma and grief would have never even registered. It's just like, you know, my whole community's gone. Okay, cool. Well, let's, <laughs> let's move on to something else. Yeah. Of course, we stayed um, throughout high school, stayed in a new church. And that was my first brush up with um, really intensive purity culture. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that good... <laughs> the good old word and out of the frying pan and into the fire. <laughs> yeah, I know. I don't know if it's better or worse or, um, and so that was as a woman growing up in purity culture. Um, I always just describe it as your body and soul being separated from one another and just this, this wall internally, because you're taught that your body's bad and it's sinful and, you know, it doesn't belong to you. And so I think women in particular experience this separation mm-hmm. and w- within ourselves um, without, you know, realizing what it is. When I was finishing my training at Dallas Theological Seminary, I had fully at that point embraced like, you know, complete purity culture of the church. After I had completed my studies at Dallas Seminary, um, I had fallen in love with a girl and had slept with her twice, and the school had been uh, found out about it. And as I was picking out my graduation invitations um, to then go on into, you know, a lifetime of Christian service, I was essentially, you know, not allowed to graduate the degree that I had already completed. (sighs) Wow. And so that kind of started my... I guess, kind of area of deconstruction because it was, to me, very easy to deconstruct that. Right. Like, let's at like, least start there and let's at least yes. the, the the things we can, you don't want to paint with a broad brush, but some things you, you really can and you maybe should. Right. And let's at least knock the big pieces out so we can get to right. the nuanced pieces. Yeah. Yeah. That is very much where my initial jumping off point Understood. kind it of makes was. Sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, well, okay. But then, too, like once you've kind of started that, and I don't think that I intended to go this far with it when I started Hmm. with that, like kind of exploring that. Well, what exactly is it that they believe before I just decided that it wasn't true? Um, And then but once you've started that, like you can't it's hard to find a place to stop. Well, yeah. I mean, it's like when you kind of it's just kind of it's kind of like pulling the thread. I mean, once once you start. You you the kind of you, kind you of don't unravels. stop pulling the thread and wear a half sewn sweater. You kind of have to keep pulling the thread to see how far it goes. You have to. Yeah, and then before you know it, you're just holding this pile of yarn. Exactly. Like, oh, because for me, where it started off very scientific and very much a logical thing. Sure. And if it had remained purely scientific and very logical, then I would say that I probably would have still continued to call myself a Christian. Mm-hmm. But in that, I read the Bible more cover to cover when I was coming out of religion more than I ever did when I was actively in it. Sure. And just seeing that, like, it was kind of a slow transition, but it changed from like an ethic or from a factual, logical thing into more of like an ethics hmm. kind of thing. Because now I'm like, all right, even if I could excuse all of the like, 
all right, well, we'll say a day in Genesis doesn't actually mean 24. Like you can reason right. away anything. Right. But there are parts of it where I'm like, oh, well, even if that is true, I'm not sure that that aligns with like my personal ethics anymore. Mm-hmm. And by ethics, and you so, just mean like, the, the way that you practice the beliefs that you have. Yeah, like even just like how it affects behavior and treatment of other like, people, and, right? Like being morally upstanding. Like there are yes. just parts of that. Like, and I won't go into too much detail, but like increasingly, there were more things, and I'm like, oh, well, even if this is true, I don't think I want to be a part of it. Right. Like that's not something that I hmm. can be a part of in good conscience. Yeah, I have and my doubts about the facts anyway, but the practice right. of it is not something I I relate to or resonate yes. with. Yes. I was having a conversation with a friend the other day and we were discussing the fact that the Western world is really bad when it comes to grief and this isn't something that you are taught to do because we like easy fixes, we like to know exactly what has to happen to get the predicted result that we want and grief is so nuanced and individual that nobody can tell you what to do. It's just in the moment. But at this point, I'm just still determined that I can fix it, you know? I can I can fix it. I don't know if you ever saw this, the show Broadchurch, but um, anyway, uh, there's a quote because there's two. there are two moms talking at one point and both of them have lost a child and there's this incredible quote where one of them says to the other one, the one who's, who lost her child a few years ago, the other one, it's fresh. And the one who's, who's been living in grief for a long time says, uh, and I looked this up um, just a second ago while you were talking, because it reminded me of it. But the quote is incredible. It says, I used to assume that grief was something inside you that you could fight and vanquish, but it's not. It's an external thing like a shadow. You can't escape it. You just have to live with it. And it doesn't grow any smaller. You just come to accept that it's there. Wow. That, that rang true for me. Um, I think, because I, I watched that show just a couple years ago when a lot of things were coming to a head for me, and that rang super true. They say there are however many stages of grief, but it, it, it makes them seem so neat and tidy, when in reality, they're often happening on top of each other. Um, regurgitating back, you know, one one phase that you thought you went through already, uh, never in the proper order that they're supposed to, all of that kind of thing. And and so the process itself is such a it's so much messier like you said than we're than we're told it's going to be. Yeah, and it's so it's so isolating as well because people tend to impose timetables on us and um, of course, my friends, you know, get you get really sick of hearing the same thing over and over again um, sometimes. And people, if you look okay on the outside, people tend to kind of dismiss dismiss your journey because it is it is a shadow. And um, if you're not visibly affected, it's really easy for people to to just assume that that you're fine. And <laughs> my my therapist used to tell me over and over again, he was like, you, you have to just let yourself feel it. And I would just kind of look at him and be like, yeah, yeah, I feel it. I get it. But you know, I'm going to do this and this and this. And he just kept telling me, you're going to, you're going to have to just, just feel it. But I mean, that five, that five wing, of course, is not about to uh, let something as illogical as emotions hijack, (laughs) hijack me. (laughs) And so I'm just kind of, kind of trucking along. And then, uh, in May of this year, actually May 5th, I will never forget the day I woke up to a phone call from my father who told me that my, my cousin who was in her early twenties had passed away. Mm. Um, very, very unexpectedly, um, healthy, um, and just really devastated my family because we've lost plenty of people, but no, nobody young ever. Um, this is the first, the first one. And of course I'm in charge of 300 students. I'm trying to turn in my final, my final exams. And just at this point, I was just thinking, are you kidding me? Like really after everything, this too, 
Like, have I not, have I not done enough through this year? Have I not done enough? And so, um, you know, there was, there was no funeral, um, because my aunt wanted an autopsy. So there was no ritual, no, um, nothing to even visualize that grief and kind of give, give closure. Yeah. And I think in that in that moment when we lost her is when I kind of just the best way I know how to describe it is I kind of just sat down <laughs> on this on this grief road and just threw my hands up in the air and was like, fine, fine. I'm just I'm going to, I'm just going to sit here and I'm going to be here and I'm going to feel it and I'm going to stop fighting. And I'm going to stop trying to put all these pieces back together. I'm going to stop trying to find a reason that all this is happening. And I'm just going to just sit here. And I think, um, you know, that's the moment that everything inside me was just waiting for. Like, finally. Um, and the, the strange thing is that I feel like I've come kind of to the top of the hill or the mountain and have started slowly down the other side of this this grief journey because I'm sure there are many more (laughs) to come Mm -hmm. but anybody who you know climbs mountains or hikes will tell you that the descent isn't necessarily mean that it's easy and the work is done but this experience has taught me that grief is so necessary in order to honor the person that you were and make space for the person that's ahead of you because as I look back on all of my experiences over the last 26 so up until the last year all of those those people that person that I was does not fit anymore there's no there's no place for her and who I am now they're not compatible right yeah but there has to be an honoring of that and of what I lost, whether or not people view it as a loss to even make space for, for the next step and in order to integrate that into your experience. And I think the strangest part, even being in the midst of the mess and still kind of waiting for that final piece, what I'm more surprised at by anything is how I can feel more whole than I ever have, even in the midst of such grief and such brokenness. Mm-hmm. Because for the first time, I'm not struggling to fit all these messy pieces together. And it's just like, here you are, like, here's the person that you've been becoming this whole time. And these liberated parts of yourself, even in the middle of grief, as they're still forming, are becoming complete if that makes any sense yeah it sounds it sounds a lot like like sort of surrendering or resigning yourself to the chaos of it yeah and letting that mystery be okay not something that you have to get over not something that you have to fix quickly Mm. and and yeah it actually reminds me of one of the tenets of buddhism because i used to (laughs) i used to hear that the buddha said you know, life is suffering. That's literally his kind of ground zero stage one thing. Right. And then that was thought that sounds pretty grim. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, and it goes on from there as far as the, the noble truths, but, but he, he did have a point in that these things tend to happen in waves and you usually feel like because the process of grief and loss and hurt and pain is so long that it's really the moments of bliss or happiness or joy that are the punctuation marks. And obviously the things that we, we long for, we, we welcome, we want to see them, but the idea that they're the constant and then there are some interruptions that are grief. I'm not sure that's compatible with, with, you know, any honest person's experience of life, especially once you get, outside of your teens and you start experiencing loss and um, betrayal, abandonment, all those things, it's, um, 
it's for sure something that I've I've thought a lot about. And actually, having a baby recently, um, she's four months old today. Um, I I realized what my first like theological realization I had, if you can call it that, or at least philosophical thing that I was that I was thinking about when she was born, was that we're not born with the capacity instantaneously for joy. Um, we don't we don't come out of the womb smiling big smiles and having happy times like. We are literally born crying. Our first, as soon as we breathe the free air of the world, our response is to cry. And the the best thing you're trying to do as a parent is help the baby not cry. You're helping. You're helping for those first couple months, especially. You're just hoping that you can keep things neutral. Like neutral is the great aim. Nothing. Not to say that anything's specifically right, but nothing specifically wrong, and that is good enough. And experiencing that with an infant i realized that it's joy and it's happiness um, that we are actually learning to have those are those are not natural to us we we learn to smile as we stare into the faces of other humans who smile at us and it's a reflective response that we develop and we're taught the things that make us happy or make us have joy but we don't we don't we're not born with those things. Those are the actual thing we learn. And what is natural to us is grief, is pain, is is something being wrong. And and the best case scenario being the neutrality thing, which is, is really funny because it sure doesn't, by the time you're 10, it sure doesn't feel like anyone ever told you that is the truth of existence. By the time you're 10, it's anything that's not great is like this big... Um, imposition or big you know like this has interrupted the flow of my life when in reality this is actually a lot of life a lot of life is this stuff that is no fun yeah and it's it's funny that you say that i've been i've been thinking a lot about um my spiritual i don't know practice it, it feels funny to say that just on the other side of coming out of such an intensive church environment and I think the closest thing right now that I would say I have that's closest to a spiritual practice, if you want to want to call it that, uh, is what my therapist, <laughs> helping me out again, um, calls just radical acceptance. And I really fought that idea for a long time, um, for a really long time, because I didn't like it at all. But as I've moved into this space of just this radical idea that where I'm at is okay and that doesn't mean that I stay where I'm at and that I'm not desiring to push myself and to grow and be a better person but the idea that I will accept wherever I'm at as valid and okay and human and part of my journey yes. to wherever it is we're going <laughs> <laughs> whatever whatever the goal is right about my kind of faith and where I'm at because all the, the sexuality stuff sometimes kind of eclipses it. Sure. But, um, but in all of this, I still have a faith. I still have a faith that God is real, even though there have been times when I I, I really thought, <laughs> I jokingly say, I think I was an atheist for a couple minutes in 2009. <laughs> 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 sure. <laughs> but I've always... I continue to have the sense that there's something bigger than me, yeah. that there's something out there that's loving. Yeah. And the way that I have connected with it my whole life is through Jesus. Mm. And so I, I, I still hang on to that, or I feel like it's holding on to me rather. Yeah. Um, and I, I actually still work part-time in a church. It, I call it an evangelical-ish church because it really mm. feels like an evangelical church. It's like kind of the, it's, there's music and a message and there's this great community. So it kind of feels like what I grew up with. Mm -hmm. um, but it's very wildly progressive theology mm -hmm. and I can be this gay worship leader awesome. and be on staff, you know? So it, that's amazing to me. Um, even, and I can also be out about my doubts. Like on Easter Sunday, I checked in and at the church on Facebook because I try to do that and support it. And I was like, I don't really know what all this means anymore. Um, yeah. but I do continue to believe that somehow I'm connecting with 
with the divine or with mm-hmm. God through Jesus. And I yeah. feel like I've always whole life. And, yes. and that's, even though I don't have an understanding of it, and I could be wrong, I really believe I could be wrong. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't think we can know. Right. But I, but I continue to practice my Christian faith and, and try to connect with God through Jesus. Um, and that still continues to bring meaning to my life. And these, these uh, ideas of life out of death and, right. and beauty out of chaos, I still hold on to those things. Mm-hmm. So resurrection, for instance, as a concept yes. is really beautiful to me. And I, I've really placed my hope in that, you know? Mm, yeah. Yep. Resurrection as a concept and even Jesus as a person and as a figure and as what he means um, is not owned by evangelicalism. It's not even really, he and it is not even really owned by Christianity itself when you really zoom out on it. Um, So I think that like what you're expressing is a sentiment that I hear from people all the time. And I think like it just this this and I even hold within myself and within my body quite quite a bit as well because I don't know where I am for very much of it either. Um, I'm more comfortable not knowing than I've ever been, and it doesn't it doesn't stress me out or cross my mind really at all anymore. Um, and the thing I like to say it's not that I don't care; I just don't have a dog in the fight because um, I'm very concerned about how good we're all being to each other right here and right now, but I, I'm pretty sure that is the Christ. So I'm like, when you really think about it, like I haven't really gone anywhere from what it meant to be, what it really meant to me when I was a child before it was like told to me that it needed to be some kind of winning or losing team sport that had some strangely violent language and required me to hate certain, most people. Uh, so like the, the purity of how moved I had always been and remain being by the person of Jesus. And like you're saying, these concepts of life after death and life that comes from death and what it means to be a person of resurrection, like those things I think actually mean more to me now because I don't believe that they only belong to me. Mm, Yeah, I get that. I'm actually a, a sociologist, so I study just literally people and the meaning systems that that we create and that we make and um you know if I did believe that God did anything for me it would be placing me in the middle of a, a sociology department to watch just all of the these processes and these meanings just kind of unfold around me and I think did a really good job of putting the the nuance of being human on display and just took all of all of those rules out, you know, and you have kind of this moment where it's like no rules. It's just, you know, <laughs> <laughs> it feels like complete anarchy for this brief moment because there, <laughs> there have to be rules. But um, I think the beauty in that is in just accepting all of the different colors and the spectrums that there are on the other side of of the black and white Mm -hmm. and there's so much more space for like you said compassion and empathy and just being human because when you're you're raised in the church there's and I don't want to paint church with a broad a broad brush but in my experience in um fundamentalist church is there's no room for anything but black and white there, there is no space for being human. Right. And I've had that exact conversation with people. It's like, they, I really see, they, they'd say that I really see this in black and white and you're trying to make it a gray area. And I said, no, I'm trying to bring it into actual color, like a full spectrum of color. Gray is not enough. You know, I don't just want a gray scale of your binaries. I want, I want to look at something bigger than that. I want to consider other options entirely. And there is no room made for it. No space given to it. It's just the the instant retaliation of fear and contempt for even for even upsetting the status quo. Yeah, it's just everyone when you get down to it is is really really afraid, and I think that's that's why grief is so hard for people to just. That's why it was so hard for me for so long to just kind of sit down and just practice that that acceptance is because it's so there's so much unknown because grief in the moment feels so all-encompassing and it feels like it's never going to stop 
mm-hmm. and you feel like you're just you're always going to be here and it's always going to feel like loss and you're always going to feel like um you know a part of you is gone and maybe that part of you is gone mm-hmm. but maybe that's maybe that's a good thing and on the other side of that the, the death of that to borrow you know some some language is going from black and white to a whole spectrum of color and I, I don't know, it's really, it's really liberating. And I'm really excited about this shared human <laughs> experience that we have that we know not nearly enough, enough about. It's like, I don't know, I do think there has to be some trying to understand the other. Yeah. Um, and I really, really want to be that person. But I have been finding out, especially like over the last couple of years, as I've mm-hmm. tried to be that person on Facebook, on Twitter, in right. person. Um, I'm paying the toll. I'm, yes, yes. You know, I'm glad you said uh, it because I was just going to say it. <laughs> no, I'm I'm starting to realize, and it's been yeah. a pretty recent thing. Like I, I'm getting beat up. I'm getting walked on. Yeah. I'm, you know, feeling that the emotional toll of this in mm. and the and the physical toll in my body. Yeah. Uh, and I I just didn't realize it, but I'm starting to realize it. So I'm becoming more. I don't know, more angry, more, you know, more like an advocate, more uh, uh, vocal, I I don't know, and and less tolerant of the conservative viewpoint, no matter how well-intentioned it is. Yeah, yep. Because you can feel quite literally in your body the way that it's harming you. Mm -hmm. Like other people's, when it comes to this kind of stuff, other people's beliefs don't just get to be their beliefs. Like that's where my like, I don't know, it's tough because my my line of what I respect about other people's business being their business, yeah. um, it, I, I erase the fuck out of it when it comes to something like that, because you, you and, and anyone who has felt like there is not space for them to be their full selves inside of the, yeah. whatever spirituality they practice, yeah. there is this like deep, you're hundred percent correct. There's a deep physical toll it takes mm-hmm. on the, on, on your body. And, you, and again, like being, trying my best to be, you know, trauma informed on everything and all of my language and all of my awareness. Like I find, I find the point I get to a lot within myself is I absolutely care less about upsetting people who feel like I'm intolerant of their beliefs when their beliefs are actively opposing the flourishing and thriving of millions of people. Like, not to, like, put too fine or a point on it, but, yeah. like, I actively participated in what was an attempt at, like, some conversion therapy because we had a person in our um, in our youth group who felt like she might be a lesbian. Right. And not that it was any, like, you say that in people picture, like, electroshocks, and there wasn't anything like that. Right. But, like, I, and I've since, like, reached out to her and have apologized that I took part in that because, mm. like, to ever make anybody feel like who they organically were wasn't okay with me right. or wasn't okay with something we were a part of. Like it doesn't like, I, sorry, I still honestly like have a little bit of wrestling with that. Sure. Cause I hate that I participated in that and that just because you, I can only imagine the emotion that that brought up in her. And then like, like they, Hearing that, hearing you know, you say it is like, how can you hold someone responsible for something that they didn't choose? Like, exactly something that, you know, like it's like it'd be like somebody being mad at me for being short. It's like, <laughs> well, shit. Yeah. What do you want me to do about it? It's like, yeah, I'm short. I mean, I, you know, I'm like five five or five six. Like, there's nothing I can do about it. I, you can't really be mad at me about that. Um, right. And so, and so, imagining how hard that must be for someone to receive judgment for something about which they feel like they made no choice. And yeah, it's hard. Exactly. There are these kind of teachable moments when we kind of feel like, I don't know, members of our family or people that we love or people we're in community, like surrounded in community with and that we feel like, do I, I don't know, I just in that moment I was like, do I scream at you or do I remind you of who you really are? Um, and who you absolutely have the the capability of being unto other people. So, yeah, I just, it's, again, not sure why that tangent popped up, but um, maybe because you got my head on, you got my mind on compassion rather than what my 
usual postures, which is just yeah. yelling at people on Twitter. So yeah, it, it's weird because I do vacillate now between feeling angry and wanting to call people out and saying, "Look what you did! Look what you did yeah. to me! Look what you do to other people!" Yeah. Um, and then saying like, "Well." I mean, you know, 15 years ago, I was there. As a gay man, I was there. I was denying my own identity. I was saying, literally saying to people, oh, I'm a straight man. I just, I struggle with same-sex attraction, <laughs> you know? And it just, I laugh so hard now when I think about those times, you know? And the, the complete denial that I was living in. So I can, like, have some compassion on people who are there, especially straight people who yeah. don't even have the, the lived experience that I do. Yeah. I understand why they would say, well, that's just a temptation or that's just a, you know, whatever. <laughs> I get it. I just, um, I see the harm. And it, yeah. So I, um, just kind of as a result of all of those yeah. ponderings and wonderings, I, um, I left and when I, I think when I left, I thought it was going to be short term. But then maybe um, you just need a break and come back and with some perspective. Yes. Because I knew, like, I had realized and was self-aware of the point that I knew the only reason I was going was because I enjoyed the company of those who were also there. And I... Absolutely, like, when I, that's right. Right, like, when I told, like, our, like, like I said, I worked in, like, the production-y kind of aspect of them, of it. And so when I told them that I was like, I, you know, this isn't enough of a reason for me to do something as encompassing as religion should be, if it's done that's right. right. And mm-hmm. so then I stepped back from that. Just didn't feel and then right it, anymore. Yeah. And so I think it's been like four or five years now. We were driving the other day and I told my partner, like, I really, I miss church right now. And that's really weird to me because when I left, it was kind of like, you know, see you never. Like, I'm never <laughs> stepping foot there again. But church is so, can be so important as far as community goes and you know, I've never, I've never had an issue with Jesus. And I think more than I would like to admit my, my belief in Jesus and his grace and compassion, regardless of how you, how you view him has informed a lot of, a lot of my life on the other side. Mm -hmm. Uh, A lot of my belief in I tend to focus on issues of social justice in my research and just my belief in the inherent value of every person that I come in contact with Mm -hmm. and my ability to see someone who 10 years ago I would have thought was a monster and unworthy of love, but being able to see them also as a flawed human who has their own grief and their own issues. Um, I think that that's stuck with me. And I'm on the other side a little a little unsure of much other than I know that God is a lot more expansive and open than I ever thought before before the grief, if that makes sense. Like where I thought there was limited space, there's actually open arms and I know that's not particularly religious language, but <laughs> I tend I tend to see God ultimately as I don't know if you want to call it the universe or you know I don't want to get too new age because I'm I'm having trouble putting language to it. Obviously, I think it's fair though. I mean, even in the the black and white pages of the Bible, God is spirit. Yeah. Right. God is God is breath. God is. Uh, creative god is god is an unspeakable word god is so many things but definitely not an old man on a cloud Um, (laughs) not a man (laughs) definitely not a man definitely not an old man Um, i think ultimately right now whether or not i ever return to faith what i've come to see god as is just this force for good in my life if that makes sense and just this 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 spirit spiritual thing that is always guiding me towards wholeness if that makes sense and mm-hmm. i i tend to just instead of speaking of god i just speak of speak of myself and like my body and i haven't been able to lose the language of my spirit you know mm-hmm. and my inner voice 
And so I just right now I've kind of stripped all my definitions of God away other than that the force inside me and in the universe around me that is always working for my good, which is still, I guess, pretty Christian language, Mm -hmm. but always, always giving me the steps if I'll Mm -hmm. just listen, if, but more in tune with, with my body and myself than I was before Mm -hmm. to not steal Jamie's language because I tend to <laughs> tend to use the, the language of my body a lot more on, well, I on think, the- yeah I think it's good language oh it's been crazy but um but grateful like mostly grateful like oh thank god I finally get to this point where I can actually be myself yeah I can actually believe what I believe feel what I feel act on what I want to act on it's like this agency that I now have like mm-hmm. just I, and I own it and I control it yes which is really powerful too. Yes. And well, and to own it and control it and also know that that doesn't mean you have to lose anything about your connection to Jesus or your connection to the divine or your connection to to a church community. You don't have to lose any of that to receive who you fully are. And, And to be able to really like root down deep into that place of knowing like, I get to be all here. All of what I want to have, all of who I know that I am, which is a, a, a Jesus-inclined person, I'm a spiritual person, and I'm also a gay man, and I also, like, you're such a multifaceted human individual like we all are, and there's no, there's no separation there, and, and it's, and it's only ever been a lie that we don't get to have all of ourselves yeah. and have Jesus yeah. too. It's only ever been a lie. That's right. I, I'll never forget, there was this powerful moment, um, so, I mean, it was quite a process of like coming out and I had to, I had to resign my uh, ministry credentials and my denomination and I had to resign my position in my church because I was like full-time worship minister for like 20 years in this wow. denomination. Um, so it was quite a dramatic thing when I came out because lots of people knew me um, and, and I was really public and vocal about my life on social media. Um, and so when I came out, it's like my wife and I kind of came out with this big blog post and this video. I mean, we went on to do a TED talk about it. So there's, wow. it's been very public, but I'll never forget like the, there was a Friday where this email went out to our church membership and it was going to come out at five o'clock on Friday. And we were like all nervous about it. Cause this was like, this was it. Like I would be fully, fully out. Mm. Uh, and it happened. The, the email went out. Um, whatever. It it was scary and exciting and all that. But I'll never forget waking up the next morning and just having this moment when I first woke up and I'm kind of lying there. And then I just went, Oh, like I never for the rest of my life have to pretend anything anymore. Like I don't have to ever worry about who knows because lots of people knew and lots of people didn't. I never have to worry about how much they know. I never have. All I have to do for the rest of my life is tell the truth. Oh That's my it. God. <laughs> you know, how powerful is that? I was lying in my bed and this huge grin breaking out across my face. And I kind of laughed out loud by myself, like, ah, I'm out. And like, it's, I can just be myself now. Forever. It was so powerful. I'll never forget. Oh my God. That's incredible. Yeah. And it's, it's been so hard. I can't even tell yeah. you the pain of the last couple of years. But, but all through the most unbelievable pain is this like underneath this foundation of joy, yeah. like really deep joy. Yeah. Like it's, I don't know, even now I'm like grinning thinking about it because I'm, I'm Me just... Me too. <laughs> I was like, it probably looks like the grin I have now, but also crying <laughs> at the same time. It's really bizarre. <laughs> yeah, it's joyful. It's like, yeah. I'm free to be myself now yeah. and I never have to hide again. So yes. I'm so thankful for that. Oh, the thing, the sentence that is just like, like crashing like waves into my body when you were just saying that is just this over and over and over the sentence of I'm all here. I'm all here now. I'm all here. I'm all here. Like, oh, and I just the, the, how insane it is to think that anyone ever told you that it could or should be any other way than that. Yep. Oh my gosh, it's so powerful. I'm like crying and happy at the same time. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> if we were in person, we'd hug. It'd be so great. <laughs> wow. Yes. You know, I always think of think of the verse that talks about um, 
how the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. Um, I remember way more scripture than I would like to admit, <laughs> to be honest. But um, I think there is something about the process of grief and really feeling, feeling that brokenness that gives you a new perspective to get rid of the parts that no longer serve you while also holding on to the ones that that still resonate with you, whatever that that looks like. I think it's important to take a, an accounting of that every so often and to reckon with that every so often and to take a hard look and not take anything for granted or make presumptions over a long period of time that what you what used to make sense to you and ring true to you still does. I think it's good to, to take a hard look every so often and to kind of, uh, you know, come to terms with it. And so there's some things you don't, you can doubt and oh yeah, doubt, that's fine. But you don't doubt beyond a certain point. You don't go all the way to say, okay, well, but, but what if I just imagined all this and tried to make sense of reality if maybe none of it was true? Maybe God's not there. Maybe Jesus was not. And I think that being afforded the moment to do that and looking at it, kind of starting from scratch and kind of reasoning my way through, just saying, does, this any, does any of this make any sense? And is this required for me to make sense of reality as I'm looking at it? But I find myself engaged now to mm. a man who is very much just kind of the opposite from what I was taught that I needed mm. in that whole because when you grow up as a woman like as a Christian woman you're taught very much that like you need to find someone who like one sees God more than he sees you but two because you have to be able to trust that that person is going to lead you That's right. in the direction. Because sometimes as like as a wife and as a woman, like you don't get a say. But I find myself now, like I tell Logan all the time, like we're like partners. Like I view us yes. as teammates. Yeah. Like instead of making decisions like yeah. on what's best for me, yeah. I make decisions for what's going to benefit the team. Absolutely. But, but everyone has to do that for that to work. I mean, it's like not ironic that what you just described of an ideal kind of Christian marriage or partnership sounds for mm -hmm. sure like something that a man would have invented. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> do you know what I mean? I mean, it kind of does. I'm just saying. it's very much like you just be quiet because like we're not called to lead. I know. We want people whose voices that we consider valuable to know it and to be pursued by us and and not just to say there's right. a place at our table for you, but to literally go out in to go out and bring them in and to say, We want right. your story is incredibly valuable. Like people need to hear the story and the emotion from the perspective of people who they might not typically relate to or understand or which is to say, like white dudes. <laughs> need to have some perspective of how this feels from from the vantage point of uh, of a woman of a exactly, minority yeah. of uh, you know people of other races or genders people like intersectional voices and complicated sometimes voices like those are incredibly valuable when it comes to hearing how uh, sometimes toxic spirituality can af how it particularly affects somebody with those you know with right. those perspectives and that's what we were concerned with everybody that just chose to wake up today we chose by the evidence of our heartbeat yeah that we all chose that life is greater than death today that's right yeah life is greater than death and if life then love because love is the only thing that produces life you know um we sort of get the metaphors wrong you know we're built in this um, ingrained desire to love unconditionally our parents, no matter what, you know. Right. Yeah. Um, and if an infant isn't loved unconditionally, even if you started that life in a dish, you know, life would not succeed, you know, life would not be greater mm -hmm. than death. So love does require the sacrifice of an individual to, to value another life's greater um, than theirs. Mm -hmm. And I've heard you reflect that in everything that you've deconstructed, that you still think even love for your enemies is important. You know, um, love for your neighbor is something you, you can't, you know, seem to relinquish right. as something that's important yeah. for life. And so what I think that you've done is you've shown that doubt in and of itself um, is 
essentially it comes from the same exact life soil that also does faith. This community that you've brought together on the basis of doubt, you know, it's like your song, um, um, Goodbye for Now, where you very courageously offer, you know, an opportunity for God to speak into the silence that we are all being deafened by silently and crushed by, and you offer him an opportunity. And what you've done now is created a shadow where every single person that has identified with that experience now is there, not in apathy, which is actually the opposite of love, but in expectation. And when you feel the words form as I do, as anyone would with good art, you see yourself in the art. And as I think anybody wants to do that hears that song, we want to sing that line Hmm, over you, which is actually what the job of the community of faith should be, to sing in love uh, an an existence over a shadow of, of an absence, which is what a super collision does. It creates a shadow of the very thing that holds us all together. to hold the space for it to be real and verifiable in my heart, I have to proceed with the presumption that it's not in order to know when it is, if it is. And if you're right, and I hope to God you are, um, then there will be nothing that I will be able to do about it. Mostly, I just kind of like, feel like I want to sit in all that, you know, and I can't tell you how much it means to me to have you say it and to lay it out that way and, um, and to, you know, believe it, you know, in a, in a way that extends that hope. And so I really do, I, I just, I receive it and I, and I, I hear it and I really deeply appreciate it. And I'm really glad considering the typical conversations that we have on the podcast, I'm really grateful that you um, were willing to, like, that you, that we took the time for you to say that, because, because what I don't ever want to do, and especially not for anyone else, and I feel like there's been a few people on the podcast where um, I've talked to them, I, I feel as though I've kind of talked them back into faith, because, or at least in, into not wholly um, abandoning it when really their problem was with an institution and not with a God who, who may be there. And so, um, you know, so I, I think we, I want, like if it's real and if the, if the, if the reconstruction that comes on the other side of deconstruction, if it includes God and Jesus and those sorts of things, um, which so far mine does not. And, and I, and a lot of my friends doesn't, but if it does, um, then we're going to have to hold space for this as well, and and for for your perspective on it, and and the way you express what you believe about it, and so it means a lot to me, and I and I I'm really grateful that you um, that we spent this time. You know, I'm really grateful to have heard it, and I'm gonna just like let it sink in. I don't think I have any more nuggets of wisdom to. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm think I'm I'm really grateful that you took the time to to speak and and especially if you're if you're someone who naturally that's not your wiring to be as as forthright in uh, in things that are definitely denser, more emotional. It's you know it's really appreciated and it is um, it is for sure an honor to be able to share that space with you. Yeah, thank you. I love I love the conversation that you guys are starting uh, about something that is typically hidden, like I said, because it's so misunderstood and so scary. And so it's good to give people a space that it's okay to just to just be there. Yeah, it's okay. To, it's it's okay to camp in yeah. that grief <laughs> because yeah, we spend so much of life trying to pretend it doesn't exist. Um, it's okay to spend some time with it. 
Well, it is. It's good. We're glad to be on your radar. And uh, oh yeah, absolutely. And, uh, so you know, we we hope that you'll um, that you'll come with us, and that uh, and and anyway, I, I really appreciate your you know just you're being willing to engage in this way and uh, share your absolutely. Yeah, you know, I think that we don't value it enough as yeah. a society. Yeah, like I totally agree. Having we, conversations. Like we need this. to hear each other's stories because they help us to feel sane in our own in as far as we hear other people's stories reflecting ours and realizes and realizing that we're not alone. You know, we're not the only ones doing this. And and so thank you for, for that. And in so doing, you know, you have turned, you know, the death of your experience into something incredibly beautiful, beautiful enough for other people to find a space for, for them to grow and understand their human experience with too, hmm. where they had no space before. They certainly had no one to sing into their, right. you know, into their absence, into their loss, into their, you know, estrangement, um, yeah. into their doubt, just yeah. absolutely into their doubt. Well, thank you so much again. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm glad we got to talk today and um, appreciate you adding your voice to, to what it is we are doing, whatever it is we are doing. I appreciate you, add, you adding your voice to it and, and, uh, and joining with us in it. All right. Thank you so much. And thanks for doing this. You know. Absolutely. Thank you. You're welcome. Have a good night. You too. All right. Bye, dear. Bye. Uh, bye. Yeah. All, All right. right. I'll talk to you soon. Okay. Bye, dear. Bye. Okay. Bye-bye. See ya. Bye. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. As the editor of the content we generate for this podcast, the idea of a final episode to close out the season seemed really daunting for me. How to honor everything this has been and everyone involved? It's like declaring an endpoint in general, and that I just don't know if it's possible. But I know I speak for all the producers when I say that these conversations have meant a lot to us. Every one of them. The space we hold for people has been made sacred in each of the stories we were able to share. So thank you all for that. I mentioned earlier that we were driven to chase down the perspective that could only come from a broader spectrum of voices. And I'll tell you what that perspective has meant for me. Just a handful of episodes into this 23-episode season spanning almost half a year, it became very clear that we were learning about and sharing in stories of embodiment. That was the most common thread I could see weaving things together, and we discussed this as producers, and I told a few people I spoke to about it on calls. It really blew my mind that in seeking out those voices which tend to lack space in church, not to mention culture at large, and especially those with marginalized intersectionalities, through Dean Reconstruction and whether losing faith or still holding to some form of it, what we were hearing about was what makes us human and how we own and manifest the things which are most intimately ourselves. And it goes to show that we lack a better and more complete picture of those things when everyone is not represented at the table. Season two literally took us deeper into who we are. In that broader spectrum that we will continue to chase down, our common sense of embodiment grew. And that is such a gift. I don't think it can be overstated. That sense of all being in the same place, coming home to ourselves, learning to start with who we truly are and to go from there. So we're off the official release schedule now for a bit. We're going to take a break, regroup, reframe, and set in motion plans for season three. We'll keep you up to date with that and we'll be looking for phone calls, letters, voice recordings, etc. before you know it. There will be a lot of opportunities to connect, so anyone thinking about that, keep an eye out for announcements across social media, and you can always go to theairingofgrief.com and use our system there to give us some of your information. During the break, we'll continue to upload bonus episodes and conversations weekly to Patreon, including the hours of discussion represented in just the small vignettes of this episode. So take a look at Patreon forward slash theairingofgrief if you want to support us and get access to those, along with our private Facebook page, monthly online video chats, and Derek Webb swag. And patrons, don't forget to get content there even when your podcast app isn't refreshing with anything new. 
But thanks so much to all of you for your support and the encouragement it is. All that said, it's goodbye for now. And we'll pause before we see you again next time after church for the airing of grief. Thank you.